All right, good morning. We're going to jump into Acts chapter 16, so if you'll grab a Bible and turn in that direction. Before we do, um, very quickly, just a couple of thoughts. I know we've already had announcement, but just a couple of key things I was thinking of that I wanted to make sure I highlighted. One was, it was just mentioned uh, that some, some folks from Fellowship Raleigh, some folks from your church are going over to Central Asia this coming up week. And, uh, you know, if you're like me, you might have uh, at some point thought, I want to maybe go on that trip. And then it's like, all right, I can't make this one. And then it's like, maybe I'd like to really support what they're doing. And sometimes, though, our intentions don't always materialize, right? Because we're busy. And so I just would encourage you, you know, this week, you can, you can give to that. You can support that. Um, there's a drop down. If you do the online giving, there's a drop down where you can go and be part of that. Now, there are four people going. Um, David Wright, Aaron and Carol Smith are leading the trip, and Eric Reynolds, our pastoral intern. Now, I don't ask you to give to that because of dire need, okay? Um, I, I don't even know what the current numbers are. I, I, but I put it before you because it's actually a way for you to participate. It, it's a way for them to go feeling like they're representing their church family, not only in the support that we give, but also in the prayer uh, that we pray for them. And so just wanted to put that before you. Another thing, real quick, we're going to be in Acts 16 in just a moment, but one more thing. So we're starting this LAMP mentor program. LAMP stands for, it's an acronym, stands for Ligon Adoption Mentor Program. Uh, one of my daughters recently was like, why is it not Ligon Academic Mentor Program? I was like, I don't know, but we're not changing it. Um, so, so that's what it is. Uh, but yeah, we're partnering together to serve this inner city middle school called Ligon uh, Middle School. And there's just a wide open door for us to serve in that community. So there is a need for 15 mentors. There's going to be about 15 students um, that are going to be uh, wanting uh, to be mentored by people. So I think there's a slide uh, for the mentor interest meeting. We're having one more interest meeting uh, today at 2 p.m. in the basement. And so there's, in, there's information. You can sign up for that meeting in the online worship guide, but you also can just go to that meeting. It's at 2 p.m. You can see that's pretty quick. Go, go get lunch, come back. Um, but there, there is a need for 15 mentors. And there are eight mentors right now. And so we really want to pray that God is stirring in some people's hearts to step up and serve uh, the kids that, that, are, that are desiring mentors this year. So um, we're starting up that program in early October. These are interest meetings, getting ready for it. So uh, this morning we're looking at Acts 16, 11 through 40. Uh, the title of the message this morning is Reaching All Kinds. Reaching All Kinds. And... Uh, let me start with a story uh, this morning. By the way, isn't it beautiful weather out? Yes, I'm very, very thankful that, you know, we did big fall kickoff and that actually kicked off uh, the fall. So, yeah. Um, but uh, so uh, this is a story about a woman named Rosaria. She received her Ph.D. at Ohio State. She was an atheist. She was a tenured professor at Syracuse University. She was focused on women's studies and queer theory for 10 years, from 1992 to 2002. She was in a long-term monogamous lesbian relationship. She was the advisor on campus for the LGBT campus group at Syracuse. She was very politically active. She was instrumental in legislation relating to domestic partnerships 
in her, her state. And uh, she started to... She started to research the religious right to demonstrate how harmful they were to her people. So she started doing some research and she actually wrote an article sort of trying to expose the harmfulness of an organization called Promise Keepers, a Christian organization. And a man named Ken responded to her article, which started a conversation which started a connection that she initially thought would be helpful for her further research as she sought to uh, prove the points that she was trying to make. And in 1999, Rosaria became a follower of Jesus Christ. And she says the key in that was this guy named Ken. And him responding to her article, reaching out to her, extending, she says, really just Christian hospitality. And anyway, she became a Christian in 1999, and she said this in an interview of her conversion. At the time of my conversion, my lesbian identity and feelings did not vanish. As my union with Christ grew, the sanctification, that means spiritual growth as a Christian, that it birthed, put a wedge between my old self and my new one. In time, this contradiction exploded and I was able to claim identity in Christ alone. What a a powerful story. Here's the thing. Eventually, she would become a wife, actually a pastor's wife, a mother. She actually lives in North Carolina. And she's written a few books, and one of those books is called Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. Now, how does that story make you feel? I hope it reminds you that Jesus in the gospel can reach all kinds of people. Because it can be easy to forget that at times. You know, it can be real easy to to get dull in our faith that Jesus can reach all kinds of people, even people with very different worldviews than a Christian and people who are set out to bring some destruction to Christianity. You know, we've been studying the book of Acts for a while now, verse by verse, and we've seen the gospel reaching different kinds of people. But this morning we see a passage where the clear purpose of this passage is to put before us Jesus reaching all kinds of people. And I think that sometimes we don't believe this. That's why we need to hear stories like that one and be reminded We grow up Christian, maybe, or maybe we've just been a Christian for a good while. And there is this fatalism that sets in. There's sort of us, and there's them, and that's it. And there's not a whole lot of changing. Now, Paul, as he would go into a city, as we're going to see this morning, you know, he would not have been so dull and had that perspective because he was a them, and now he's an us. He was radically converted to Christianity, not seeking Christ. Christ sought him. So, 
But here's the thing. As we look out at the landscape of people, not necessarily in this room, but perhaps, but as we look out at our city, right? As we look at the world, as you look at your workplace, your neighborhood, your school, there are all kinds of people, and many of them seem very far from Jesus. And it can be overwhelming. And you almost have this thought, and it's actually a true thought. I cannot reach people for Jesus. But the key is to follow that up with, and this is our big idea this morning, but I can be the kind of Christian that Jesus uses as he reaches all kinds of people. And that's what this passage shows to us this morning. I cannot reach people for Jesus. I mean, you look at the different people that are reached in this story this morning, and it's like, wow, I couldn't do that. You're right. No one can. But we can be the kind of Christians that Jesus uses to reach people. You can be. You can be a Ken. You can be a Paul, a Silas. These are just people a Lydia, a Philippian jailer. And so let's now read this passage. I'm going to read this entire passage. It's about 30 verses, but I want you to catch the whole story first, and then we're going to go through it. Verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Semithrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we uh, supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore their garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. The Philippian jailer. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. 
supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Okay, let's jump right into this. We're going to look this morning here at three qualities of the kind of Christian Jesus uses as he reaches all kinds of people. And the first one is a person who walks by faith and shares their faith. All right? That's what we see here. Remember, this history that Luke is giving us, these stories that we're reading in Acts, they're not just intended to only be history and stories. They are lessons. They are to encourage and challenge us. Here's how these today challenge us. To be the kind of Christian we see them being that we see that Jesus uses to reach people very far from him. A person who walks by faith and shares their faith. So you see, first off here, right there in Troas, the city, and they set sail, it says. There's a screen, uh, there's a slide with a map on it. Let's go to that now. So they set sail from Troas, and, and they make a direct voyage, it says, to a little island called Samothrace. I'm in verse 11. And the following day to Neapolis, which is the coastal town, about a 10-mile walk from Philippi. And, and it's called Kavala today. And, and then from there, they walk up to Philippi, which is, it says in verse 12, the leading city of the district of Macedonia in a Roman colony. And then it says, we remained in this city some days. So I put that map up there, and you can kind of see their journey. They're continuing to get away from Rome, or away from Jerusalem as they move to the ends of the earth. They're going toward Rome, with the gospel, you can see the picture there of just the journey through the Aegean Sea, the little island, Samothrace. They get to the beach there. They walk to Philippi. They're now in Europe. You see the picture there of me at the ruins of Philippi. I had to share that. And so um, that's me and the Macedonian man, actually. It is a guy from Greece that I took a picture with. Um, but a uh, little bit about Philippi. So, so this is a city. It tells us here in verse 12, this is a Roman colony, a leading city. Um, it was founded in 356 BC by Philip, the father of Alexander the Great, and he named it after what? Himself, Philippi. All right. So that's Philippi. 
And it was probably a modest size at this time, maybe 2,000 people. Um, and this, it was a military outpost, and it was an expat city, meaning that a lot of military people retired there as well because there was a huge battle called the Battle of Philippi, and after it, a lot of people retired. And so it's a very military type of town. You might think of like a Fayetteville, North Carolina or something, but that's Philippi. That's ancient Philippi. And now to verse 13. It says, And on the Sabbath day, we went outside to the gate to the riverside where we uh, supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. So what is going on here? So they've come now to Philippi. They're in Europe. They're in Macedonia. They want to share the gospel. They, they had had this vision that the Macedonian man was saying, come over and help us. And they concluded that they're supposed to go share the gospel. So now they're there. They get there. Why do they go outside the city to a place where they supposed, it says, they, they guessed would be a place of prayer? What, what's happening here? Well, what's happening is a couple of things. Number one, it required 10 Jewish men in a city to have a synagogue. And so there clearly wasn't enough for there to be a synagogue in Philippi. What else is happening here is at this time in the Roman Empire, there was a lot of anti-Semitism. And so these Jews were afraid. They were meeting at a river outside the city limits. But Paul and his team, which included Silas and Timothy and probably some others, they went out there thinking, we think there might be some people out here that we can talk to about Christ. Now, why is this important? Here's a question I want to ask. Why go there first? Why? Remember, in the book of Acts, we've been studying this. Remember, Paul and all the Christians, really, they are people of great passion to go share with everyone, but they are also people of great principle people of deep conviction. And one of the deep convictions that they had was that God wanted them, when they went to a new city, to share the gospel first with the Jews, then with the Gentiles. Why? Well, because Jesus was the promised Messiah to the Jewish people in the Old Testament. Yes, for the whole world, but first for the Jew. And Jesus was Jewish, and these are the lost sheep of Israel. And so this was just the plan. And they knew that it was the plan. And we saw like in Acts uh, 13, when they were in um, Antioch, Paul and Barnabas told the Jews in the synagogue there, they said, and I quote, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. But since you have cast it aside, we will now go share it with the Gentiles. They say that. And you know, in another place, in Romans 1.16, Paul says, the gospel is the power of God for the salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the Greeks. Here's the point. They were, they were passionate about sharing their faith, but they were principled in their strategy. God is a God who not only cares about the outcomes, but he cares about how we get there. The principle here that we see them following to the Jew first, then the Gentile. If ever there was a time where they could have maybe skirted the principle, they could have said, well, there's no synagogue here. There's no synagogue here, so let's just start in the city center. 
But no, they understood this principle. They trusted the Lord. They trusted God's plan that it would bear fruit. They walked by faith and shared their faith. They didn't just share their faith. They walked by faith. They trusted God and they shared their faith. It's key. Where in our lives are we telling ourselves that God doesn't care how we get things done as long as they get done? You know, are we willing to do the hard things God's way because he asked us to, trusting him that it will bear fruit? Walk by faith and share your faith. You know, sometimes we just talk about sharing our faith and we're like, oh, I need to share my faith more. Yes, but we've got to walk by faith and share our faith. That is inseparable. These were men, Paul, Silas, Timothy, their group, that were walking by faith, evidenced in that where they went first, and sharing their faith. So what I see here as I look at this is I see a team of missionaries who honored the principle and the conviction they had from God. And God honored them, and they saw fruit in an open door, in an open heart that was amazing. And that's the next part, verse 14, Lydia. So one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after, she was baptized, and her whole household as well. She urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. All right? Like, again, Luke is giving us this morning these three stories, three separate stories of people far from Jesus becoming Christians. Look at Lydia. This is a wealthy person says, a dealer in purple goods. She was in the textiles, dyeing industry. Purple, the color of royalty. She was wealthy. She was Asian. She was from a place called Thyatira, which was in a city, or which was in a region that was called Lydia at that time. And so it's funny, because her name was Lydia, so it was kind of maybe her trade name. It might not have even been her real name. It's like, oh, there goes Lydia from Lydia, you know? She's wealthy. She's probably single, since nothing's mentioned of her husband, but her household is mentioned. She was at the river praying. Maybe she wasn't single. We don't know. She was spiritual, not a Christian, not yet at least. And she was a businesswoman. That's this person. Really interesting. What I find very interesting is it says that the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul said. The Lord opened her heart. It's so encouraging in, in, in several ways, right? God has to open people's hearts to pay attention when we share our faith. What's also interesting is even though she's at this river secret prayer meeting and she's spiritual and it says she's a worshiper of God, but not a Christian, 
even though she's religious and she's spiritual and she's at a secret prayer meeting, it's not enough. It's not enough, is it? The Lord has to open her heart. So wait, her heart wasn't open before that? Right. The Lord has to open her heart to be open to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to accept Christ, to put faith in Jesus, to become a Christian. And so I think that could be even a challenge for for someone this morning just to remember that being spiritual, even being, let's say, let's call it religious, being a person of prayer, these don't make you a Christian. And they don't necessarily prove that you are a Christian. We've got to believe in the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus died for our sins on the cross, that he rose from the grave, that we're to turn from our sin and put our trust in him and become a Christian and have his spirit filling us and begin walking by faith with Jesus. That's the Christian life. Lydia needed that. and God brought it right into her life. So if we will be people who will walk by faith and share our faith in the way that we see Paul, Silas, and Timothy, I believe we will see Jesus through us reach all kinds of people. The first one is someone like Lydia. Second, again, three qualities of the kind of Christian Jesus uses as he reaches all kinds of people. This one is a person who has and shares gospel clarity. All right? When I say gospel clarity, what I mean is you really have clarity about what you believe and what is the fundamental belief that makes you a Christian, what it is, what it isn't, okay? Gospel clarity. Look at verse 16. So so they're, they're going back and forth to this place of prayer. It says, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. All right? So I want you to think about what this part of the passage means real quick, all right, while I tie my shoe. And the reason I do that is because it's distracting me that it might be distracting some of you that my shoe's untied. And you're just like not paying attention to the sermon and worried that at some point we're going to have some major calamity. And also, I'm always yelling at the girls on my soccer team to tie their shoes in double knots, and it's just a shame that I can't do it. So, um, all right. So a person who has and shares gospel clarity. So listen, what is happening here? First of all, there's a slave girl. So first, it's a upwardly mobile, you know, businesswoman, Asian, and, and she's wealthy, and now it's the very bottom of the socioeconomic system. Make a note of that and how God reaches all kinds of people. These two people are about to be in church together. So, so this person is a slave girl, it says. 
And, and, and it says she had a spirit of divination. Now, one thing to know, the word behind the word divination there is the word pythion. And it's the word that we get the word python from. And in Greek mythology, and this you don't need to know this. The message of the Bible is in the Bible. You don't need all this fancy information. But the point is this. I just would say this because it's interesting. In Greek mythology, the Most High God, Apollos, was said to be guarded by a snake, Python. And, and his female devotees, particularly at Delphi, maybe you've heard of the Oracle of Delphi, were said to have the power of clairvoyance telling the future. And so now that we have that, that little backdrop, a slave girl who had a spirit of Pythion, Python, and brought her owners much gain by clairvoyance, by fortune telling. So this is the slave girl who is saying, these men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. So here's one thing that we've got to grab. You might read this and think she's trying to help. She's, she's, she's assisting. And maybe you see it as like, oh, it's amazing. You know, Jesus and his people walk into town and even the demons just start praising and saying, most high God. Like, you think she's trying to help. I don't think so. I think that when she's saying the Most High God, she's referring to Apollos. And I think she's trying to, I think the demon in her is trying to, through her close association with Paul and through her loud exclamations about the Most High God, trying to muddy the spiritual waters by claiming that this new ministry of the gospel of Paul is in fact under the umbrella of the Most High God. Apollos. She's not trying to help. That's why it says that Paul got greatly annoyed. The King James Version actually says he was greatly grieved. But he had clarity. He had gospel clarity. And he was willing to speak up and speak into a situation with that clarity. Modern day, you know, she was inviting Paul to stand with her on a stage at an all-faith service where everyone believes in lowercase God, philanthropy, and of course, miracles and prayer. Rather than letting her continue to walk alongside them and bring great distraction to their ministry, they cast it out. This demon and the lack of clarity. Now, Quick caveat, of course, listen, we're not going to be policing people's lack of gospel clarity. There's a space for someone to become a new Christian and learn and gain more clarity in how they articulate their faith. That's fine, but that's not what's happening here. This person is clearly opposing the work of Christ and trying to bring confusion. So in a land filled with generic spirituality, Bible Belt, Southern cultural Christianity, it is very important that we have and that we share gospel clarity with people. 
as Jesus reaches all kinds of people, he can use you and me if we will be a people who walk by faith and share our faith and who have and share gospel clarity. Luke doesn't confirm it, but it seems implied that this slave girl becomes a part of the Christian faith family at this moment, along with now Lydia. What a group there, what a new church plant core group that they're forming. Amazing. Third quality a Christ like person of joy, integrity, and selfless care. So qualities of the kind of Christian Jesus uses as he reaches all kinds of people, a person who is a Christ-like person. So look at verse 19. But when her owners, still talking about the slave girl, when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. So, so when did the Christian faith become extremely um, uncomfortable for the people at Philippi. When? When it touched the world's wallet. That's when. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept our practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. And so I'll just show you a picture of uh, a little jail in the ancient ruins of Philippi. And it honestly... Could, could be where he was. It probably, they say it is with the sign. Uh, it probably wasn't. Because if you think about it, that's a pretty small little building. And it says that they put him, they fastened, they put him in the inner prison. And this is a room that only has one small room. But anyways, um, so they're in jail in Philippi. What happens next? Verse 25. So about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. I mean, just that verse, that verse right there is the, could be a whole sermon. You know, as, as you go through the injustice and the suffering of what it sometimes entails as a disciple of Jesus Christ, the people around you are listening and they need to hear your joy and your singing in the midst of it. Verse 26, And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. So you would anticipate next is the big escape, right? We already saw that once earlier in Acts where Peter did escape. What's going to happen here? Verse 27, when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, look what he does. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Suicide. He's going to commit suicide. Supposing that the prisoners had escaped because he knew that he would be killed and it would bring great shame to his family 
that he allowed this to happen, the entire prison to be released. So he's suicidal. He's like, I'm not going to see my family again. I'd rather kill myself than have them come kill me. Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. So just, again, consider this. This is amazing selfless care. Why did Paul, This guy probably looked so down on Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Think about the, the power differential and the relationship between the head of a prison and an inmate. Think about it. Think, think about like this guy probably had already kicked him and punched him a few times. And Paul and, and everyone with them, instead of leaving when they could, they're concerned that this man might hurt himself. Do not harm yourself. So already, you know, just as we're reading through this, we see this amazing Christ-like joy in the face of suffering, this amazing Christ-like selfless care, and even this astounding integrity. We're all here. We're not leaving. We're not breaking out of prison. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And do you see? Trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. The jailer saw Christ. He saw Christ in Christians. And it made an indelible impact on him. And the level of transformation that we see in his life about to unfold is astounding. Verse 30, then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. If that's your question this morning, what must I do to be saved? Here's the answer from the Bible. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And you, he says, you and your household. Some people take this to mean that infant baptism is implied or taught here, but look at the next verse. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who are in his house. And so the people in his house were listening to a sermon, not necessarily in diapers. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Can you picture this? Him washing the wounds that he likely participated in the infliction of them. And then taking that same water and asking them to baptize him and his family in it. What an amazing story. Then he brought them, verse 34, up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. In 15 minutes, this guy goes from the brink of suicide and spending eternity apart from Christ to having new life in Christ and eternal life and his family too. And what shook him to the core was what? The earthquake of Christ-likeness. 
that was exhibited by Paul and Silas and Timothy. And make a note as well of how all of these people, Lydia and now the jailer, it's second nature for them to bring the gospel home. As their hearts are open to the gospel, their tables are open to Christian fellowship, and their homes are open to the gospel to share it with their family members. You see that here in this passage, and it is instructional for us. Verse 35, when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they've beaten us publicly, uncondemned men. That's who we are. And we're Roman citizens. And they've thrown us into prison. Do they now want to throw us out secretly? In other words, they're worried they're going to get killed. No, let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them. They took them out and asked them to leave the city. Watch verse 40. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, now there's a church here now. Lydia may be hosting this church. Brothers in Christ, surely also sisters in Christ. They encouraged them and they departed. So as we conclude, I want to I put some thoughts before you just, just quickly as we close. All kinds, reaching all kinds. See from this story how the gospel of Jesus Christ is for Everyone, regardless of race, class, gender, socioeconomic status. You know, it would have been common in that day for a Jewish rabbi, such as Paul or any of these Jews, to say a prayer. Every day they would have said this prayer. Thank you, God, for not making me a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. I'm not making that up. That was like a common daily prayer for a Jewish man. Hmm. What just happened in this passage? A wealthy, single woman? A slave? Who is lower caste and psychologically oppressed? In a secular, blue-collar, jail-warden, Gentile man? Gospel reaching all kinds. And we began this morning and we shared about the secret thoughts of an unlikely convert. I told you the story about Rosaria, Rosaria Butterfield. We talked about Jesus reaching all kinds of people far from us too. And I shared with you that there was this guy named Ken who just simply responded to her article. I think Luke shares these amazing stories with us. Yes, so that we can be encouraged to see how all kinds of people come to Christ, but also so that we can look closely at what the people that God uses to reach those people are doing, the kins in the story. The qualities of Christians who Christ uses to reach people far from Him. Walk by faith, share your faith. Share gospel clarity. 
joy, integrity, selflessness, the fruit of the Spirit. So let's close in prayer and ask the Lord to to work this in our lives as well.